Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Gav Williams, a postdoctoral researcher at the Sports Technology Institute. Gav's specialty is in customized sports equipment for alternately abled athletes, and one of his more recent projects is development of chairs for elite-level wheelchair basketball. With the London Paralympics just around the corner, Gav tells us a bit about the games and development of specialized equipment for a variety of sports and athletes. Remember to check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Sports Tech Podcast. I'm Henry and Mike's here as well. Hi everyone. And with us today in the studio we have Gavin Williams, a postdoc researcher at the Loughborough Sports Technology Institute. Hello everyone. Gavin's going to talk to us a bit today about some of the projects he's working on right now, um, which are quite topical as a bit of Olympic or Paralympic research and development, and uh, perhaps also some of the, the work he's done in the past. So first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. And most notably, all of us around the office see your the wheelchair basketball stuff you're working on. So, do you perhaps want to say a bit about what you're what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'm, my position here is funded by UK Sport. Within UK Sport, there's a obviously a, a Paralympic research and innovation team, and my role is predominantly looking into wheelchair basketball and design a new wheelchair for the Paralympic Games next year in London. We're working with. The, the current manufacturers of the, of the wheelchair, which is um, RGK, UK-based UK based company, mm-hmm. based near Birmingham, Hootsfield area. So we work quite closely with them in terms of fitting in with their manufacturing capabilities. At the minute, we've given a bit of a background about wheelchair basketball. It's, it's yeah, sure, I think I'm not so familiar with it. It's uh, one of the sort of blue ribbon events, if you want to call it uh, that, for Paralympics, mainly because it's the way it's uh, been set out, it, it includes a range of disabilities. So you, you only have men and women's team from each nation. Um, so that therefore it's inclusive of quite a lot of different players, different players with different abilities. Mm-hmm. It's based on the able-bodied game. So you play on the same court, use the same size ball, same height of nets. The only real difference is that players are in wheelchairs, but the same, same basic rules, same Number of players, that kind of thing. The the UK team is pretty pretty good. They just come back from the European Championships in Israel last month with the gold medal uh, for the men. The women came back with a bronze, I think. Hopefully that's correct. That's quite good. So yeah, they're it, they're a pretty good team. The other nations such as US, Australians, Canada, the French, quite good. So mm-hmm. the the Paralympics this year should be quite a competitive tournament. The wheelchairs themselves are specific to the sport, so each player, say, may have a disability and need the use of a day chair, but they'll use a separate chair for their, for their basketball playing. Other players, for instance, those with amputations or prosthetic legs, will not necessarily use a day chair, so they'll only use a wheelchair for playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that end, the chairs, the basketball chairs, are very bespoke to the needs of the game and each player. So they're pretty much the top end anyway for the elite squads are customised for each player in terms of size, shape um, and setup. Predominantly the quite lightweight, relatively expensive materials, titanium, aluminium, chrome alloy frames with quite lightweight wheels to them. They do cost quite a bit Ranging a top end one would range sort of three and a half, four thousand pounds. So oh, wow. it's quite a quite a expensive piece of kit. Like a bike. 
mm-hmm. racing bike. Yeah, similar sort of sort of expense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So in terms of difference between say a day chair and a basketball chair, fundamentally they're similar in terms they have two big wheels for propulsion with a push rim and two smaller front wheels uh, casters. From then on, as I was say, light, lightweight is quite a key characteristic. So a lot of things are stripped down in terms of additional bits like uh, brakes, for instance, which are outlawed anyway, but certain things which aren't necessarily needed mm-hmm. for, for day-to-day use aren't included. One of the main differences visually is the camber angle. So the, the chairs will have a typically have a 16 to 18 degree camber angle for the wheels to that's, help with the... That's how far the wheels are from vertical. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. And that obviously helps with maneuverability on the court and stability. So the players can turn and maneuver around fairly fairly easily, considered uh, relatively to a day chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also have a, a small caster, either one or two at the back, to help with an anti-tip caster, it's called, so it helps the players lean it back, they don't tip out of their chair. Wheelie bar? Yeah, could be. Yeah, I never heard that so you mentioned that a lot of the, the professionals and the, the super high-end chairs are all custom-made to the sport and to the individual players. But I guess in, in some able-bodied sports, that's also the case. So you have custom-made football boots for, for the, um, the top sponsor players and things. Is it also the case that for, for perhaps the recreational or, or maybe serious recreational players, they also need customized chairs? Yeah. For the individual disabilities? Or do you think, do you think like the, the, the one-off customized customization is only for these models? I would suspect, due to the cost, um, a unless you're a serious basketball player, you would be limited to what you could get out of it. But right, yeah. I think certain characteristics of a, as I say, the camber angle, for instance, on the anti-tip, you would definitely need that kind of characteristics to enable you to play basketball effectively on court. So I've, I mean, there are wheel, basketball wheelchairs are commercially available. You can buy sort of different sizes mm-hmm. to suit. So, for recreation, recreational purposes, yeah, yeah, they, they are they are available, but again, they're quite expensive and a heavy investment for yeah, recreational purposes. But therefore, I mean, then again, so as you say, throw some bikes, throw some bikes. Yeah. When you go about designing a new wheelchair or a custom wheelchair for for a basketball player, what are some of the considerations that you really look? Comfort isn't well. Speaking to the players, comfort isn't necessarily a, a, a major major influence on the on the design. They're quite happy to kind of forgo a bit of comfort for say a bit more lightweight mm. or a bit more speed on court. So it, in the, in terms of player preference, comfort isn't necessarily a high priority. It's more a case of where the player is positioned relative to the to the axle to help with setup um, in terms of balance. Um, and that's again dependent on uh, the disability. So some players prefer to be further forward or slightly further back relative to the axle to help with the the balance and to help with propulsion where their where their arms will or the hands will meet the wheel during the propulsion phase. Seat and bucket angle will will also play a part again depending on uh, the level of disability. So someone with a spinal injury with limited movement of the trunk would need a bucket angle in their seats, so therefore their, their knees will be higher than the hips, which will help with their stability. Mm. Um, so it's those kind of things that are factored in when we're designing the chair. 
Are there any restrictions, like regulations or rules? And I, I know you just mentioned like breaks was one thing you can't have. Are there any other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not something I brought up initially, but yeah, there's quite a lot of regarding the chair. The main one is um, is seat height and wheel diameter. So there's a limit on how big the wheels can be. Uh, I think at the minute it's twenty. 28 inches in diameter. Seat height, I mean, obviously these, these are brought in to sort of help or restrict uh, the, the height of the player, the overall height of the player. So for a, a high, high pointer, which would be a, a player with a, a lesser disability, so say an amputee um, player, the maximum height of their chair could be, could be of their seat could be 58 centimetres above the, above the floor of the court. Uh, for a low pointer, which is a player with more of a severe disability, would be 63 centimetres. And it's those kind of things. They're, they are strictly um, adhered to by uh, the officials. In the, the high pointers especially, they, they obviously want to be as tall as possible because they're normally the, the greater pointer scorers for the game. It also helps them, obviously, get higher, closer to the basket, but it also helps them to be a greater reach for interception and and defence as well. So there's a quite a keen eye by the officials on the high point players to make sure that they're not sitting higher than they should be. But each, I mean, all players of all nations try and push that rule to the to the very limit um, of and how they can sit as high as possible without necessarily being noticed. And there's certain ways in which players do that, and it's trying to be clamped down as much as possible. But it's going to be it's very difficult to, to influence. I guess there's one, one quite a large difference against able-bodied basketball is that you can't just get some massive people. Everyone's kind of restriction. This it's there's a little bit more that can be restricted in wheelchair uh, mm. basketball team. Yeah, I mean there is a, a trend of thought by a few people that that rule about chair height, seat height, should be just removed because it causes more problems than than it mm. than it solves. Really, in reality, if you really sit high above the court unless you have really big wheels then you're not going to be able to reach the wheels for one um, and that's going to inhibit your proportion and your speed around the court bigger wheels means less maneuverability so th- there is an optimum height at which um, a chair height, a seat height can be so trying to limit it and trying to rule against it is, is, is tricky Can you give us an example of when you've worked with an athlete, like what's the process of they come in, they kind of give you some of the specs that they like, they tell you what position they play, and then you kind of go back and forth with different iterations. One of the what best illustrate that, always the best illustrate that would be to talk about what I'm currently working with as the basketball players, the GB squad. And we're looking at more of a customized seat for the players. At the minute it's basically a upholstered framework so that there'll be a cushion for the seat pad and the Velcro strapped back with a, with a cushion. When we surveyed the players about what was good and bad about the chairs currently, elements of the seat ranked quite highly and what was poor. So our approach has been to make a customised seat that fitted the player uh, quite closely and, and was like a separate element, if you like, to the framework. So we've, we've been currently doing that with um, male, both male and female players. And the, the type of things that are requested amongst all uh, like things like comfort and the, the kind of scene position, it, it is literally how they're set up in their relation to the, to the, the main wheels, the axles. Um, 
and the sort of seat height they have, which affects where where their hands are placed on the wheels when they're when they're propelling the chair. So it's those kind of factors, and it, it's surprising, or was to me at least, the fine line between a correct setup and a, and a poor setup, and there's things that have a knock-on effect of other elements. For instance, the, the footrest. If the footrest is too high, then the knees will be too high, and that'll mean that the, the bucket angle will be too too great, which can then affect their mobility. So tweaking those kind of things is is critical. And the problems we're having at the minute is because we're making seats separate to the, to the frame, it's how do we place the player in their optimal position and then translate that chair or that seat onto a frame in order for the player to be in the correct position. At the minute, current chairs for the elite squad are just tweaked because they've, they've gone through a, an iterative process of creating a seat or a chair that they think is in the right position isn't. The next chair they'll get will be tweaked slightly to to solve that problem of where they're sitting. So it's players who have in the elite squad now maybe on their fourth or fifth version of chairs and it's it may not be correct at the minute, but it's it's better than it was previously and that one was better than it was previously and so on. So it's there's very little science, I guess, or hard engineering involved in in creating a uh, the, the chair to suit the athlete to play. Do you, do you think there, there there can be with enough with by tracking the iterations and seeing what people prefer? Do you think do you think there's a way to kind of look at the body geometry and kind of like the sizes of joints and 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 limbs and things and to come up with maybe <clears throat> maybe perhaps just a better guess for a first start? Or? Yeah, I think well, RGK are are currently working on a sort of adjustable chair which have a lot of adjustments in terms of. Mm. Uh, seat position, book angle, footrest height, and that kind of thing. Um, and that will help sort of position a player in what they think would work and allow them to manu- move the, maneuver the, the, uh, the chair on court. But the problem there is that the, with weight. So the more adjustability you put in, the more fixings, the more components you've got. And so you're not necessarily comparing like with like. And it's very difficult to, to simulate what a real chair would, would feel like. If it's say four or five kilograms heavier than it would be. Mm. Um, similarly, we 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 have been working on like a, a simulator that can be composition. It's got a lot of adjustments of composition of the seat of the player mm-hmm. in there. What they think is the right position. Again, the drawback or two drawbacks on that is one that it's it's static, so they can't necessarily move around the court. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're based in what they they think is the right position on their current experiences, and that's. That's working fairly well with experienced players. If you get a new player in, obviously they're not going to be too experienced about what what suits them and what works well for them. So it's it's difficult, yeah. It's, you can, I mean, there are certain measures you can take anatomical references like uh, limb lengths, um, seat heights, and that kind of thing to work dimensions or chair dimensions. But the fine is needed. It's difficult to um, incorporate into a new chair easily. Are there any other any other things about Kind of high-end, high-mobility wheelchair design and construction that can be taken to a more day-to-day level in, in wheelchair design for for comfort or mobility or lightness or in terms of filtering down the technology to yeah the all, the, all the stuff that's being developed at the high end. Yeah, there's I mean a, a lot of stuff on get you know, on on terms of the materials I guess mm-hmm. um, into the lightweight and, and uh, reducing the amount of material used in. In a in a chair, there's a wheelchair called 
Trekinesic. I think I've pronounced that right, which is a, a kind of an off the road type wheelchair, and that uses a, a monocoque seat, carbon fiber seat, which has two big sort of mountain bike kind of wheels, mm. um, and that's quite a. It looks very different to a to a conventional wheelchair, but has things like adjustable camber angle mechanisms that you can you can you can increase the, the camber angle when you're off road, but then decrease it. To help you move doors and things. fix through doors, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So those kind of things. I mean, that kind of technology is filtered down from not just wheelchair sports, but other kind of. I think some of it was filtered down from F1 seating, for instance. So mm-hmm. the seat for the for the chair is is borrowed technologies from from F1 motorsport. I mean, in a lot of sports and a lot of um, industries, the high end stuff does filter down into more day to day type product. Yeah. Are there any big differences between men and women's wheelchairs when you go and design them? Not especially. I mean, in terms of wheelchair basketball, say, the basic principle is the same. Um, obviously, the, the size and weight of the players is different. So you might get, say, a 80 to 100 kilogram guy trying to accommodate that so their frame will be considerably bigger to, to sort of fit the frame of the person, if you like. Um, the... The other kind of consideration, I guess, which is sort of related to that aspect is the, although basketball is technically a non-contact sport, you do get quite heavy contacts. So the frames do fail along well points. That isn't necessarily much of an issue in women's, the women's game, um, because although they're still having contact, still the, the level of contact is similar. The, the magnitude of those contacts is less momentum. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, although at the minute there isn't necessarily much difference in terms of the, the frame design, you would you would only really notice the size between a male chair and a female chair. I think there is scope to look at reducing the number of reducing the amount of framework for, for female players, which again will reduce the weight, help them uh, maneuverability. Are there able-bodied people that play wheelchair basketball at elite levels, or is it is it Kind of restricted. Um, it's not restricted. Um, there are regulations in place to include able-bodied players. Mm-hmm. Um, I should sort of point out that the kind of classification system. Basically, the more disabled the player is, the lower the points. So the point will go from say one to four and a half. Mm-hmm. So a uh, quite heavily disabled player will be a, a given a classification of one, whereas a less disabled player will be um, a classification of four and a half. Mm-hmm. And at any one point. And the court, you're only allowed 14 points. So in terms of able-bodied players, there is a, a five-point scale where an able-bodied player would be given a five-point. Now, that, there's no real appetite for that in, say, Paralympic sport, but it is. there are some tournaments where able-bodied players have participated and they're given a five-point score. So you really, really have one player at a time on the court because it would obviously take a, a lot of... Of the point allocation, right? Have you have you ever played? Have you have you used like, um, chairs? I've I've never played with any anger. Um, it's it is very difficult. I mean, these these guys are incredibly fit for one. The effort you need to to push yourself around, even though the chairs are quite light, the effort you need to sort of sprint and stop and turn and get back up to. Um, a defensive position, for example, and, and still have enough control within your muscles to shoot. Accurately. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Control and and control and, and sort of dexterity of the ball 
to um, skill to shoot because remember although they're playing on the same court so there's no, there's no slam dunk in uh, yeah. wheelchair basketball obviously so um, it's, it, they're, they're pretty skillful and to, to control the ball and control the chair at the same time is quite quite tri- tricky so Gabby you've been involved with um, Paralympic sports and alternately able to sport for quite some time um, have you seen it progress in the last while what have you seen well I, I've been here in sports tech institute for getting over just over three years so in my time i think the one of the the biggest changes has been the popularity of, of paralympic sport mm. um, and that's down to partly the increase in the increase in exposure media exposure um i mean paralympics have gone since sort of 1980s sort of time and they originally were for Rehabilitation. So mm. you're now getting players who are real, as I say, real heavy athletes, and the the amount of participation has increased significantly. I think over recent years. Um, so I guess you're saying when it started, it was just kind of taken up by by people who were trying to 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 build strength and and, and yeah, it was a way of ability through sport rather than rather than purely for the the athletic competition. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of a way of, of really, but sort of extended way of, of rehabilitation mm-hmm. um, but obviously now it's, it's a lot greater than that and mm-hmm. that's great look at the, the kind of technology side as well which is a, quite a big issue really about where you draw the line of is the technology a performance enhancement or is it there to help performance participation and mm-hmm. where is that line it's quite a grey area in terms of crossing that line or crossing the boundary between the two. And is that is that something you see in like legal regulations or, or is is more of a just a consideration when you're designing product designing? I think a lot of it is down to public acceptance in, in a way. I mean people see that obviously the, the sort of um, high profile athletes like Oscar Pistorius who many people feel perhaps that he has a gained an advantage by having prosthetic limbs. Now there's a lot of science behind about what the blade blade, blade, blade really, yeah. Right. yeah. Now there's as I said, there's a lot of science behind how his loss of limb affects his vulnerability and the additional prosthetics are they better than his, than a, a leg replacement would be. And um it's a bit of a minefield in trying to convince people either way or the science is a bit of a minefield about proving either way. Can you talk a little bit about what different sports there are or how that has grown are there are the sports continuing to increase as technology gets better or yeah yeah I mean more at the minute now there's um, there's 18 Paralympic summer summer Paralympic sports 14 of which are sort of similar the same as um, Olympic summer Olympic sports mm-hmm. so you've got sports like cycling rowing use are very close in what they the kind of technology they use obviously you've got the the, the bicycles and the and the rowing boats, uh, sailors and the one. Um, so the, the the crossover between the two, the sort of training methods are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology in which you can employ for those Paralympic sports is very similar, obviously, to the to the Olympic counterparts. So you get very high end type uh, assistive devices, if you want to call it that, being infiltrated into Paralympic sports, which wouldn't necessarily be the case. Um, even sort of say eight years ago in in Paralympics. What what are the Paralympic sports that are not directly related to the traditions? So the, the four other ones would be um, wheelchair, uh, rugby, goalball, 
uh, botcher and powerlifting. Um, so they're they're included. I mean, they're, they're quite well established Paralympic sports. Um, and obviously, there's there isn't a an able-bodied alternative. Mm. For such specific needs, for like on, on an individual basis, the needs are are quite different from person to person. Is there a, a clear way of, of establishing rules? Like, do the governing bodies have to look at each case on a case by case basis for, for classification? For just for allowing um, certain types of equipment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there is a official bodies for but for all sports and they they look at what what's allowed and again it comes back to is that piece of equipment providing an advantage or is it allowing participation um i think i mean that rules are obviously there to be pushed and, and as long as they're not broken right you know you use as much technology advantage as you can um a lot of the time though again with kind of the more more technology advanced you get obviously the increase in expense and it, and it comes down to can a country afford to pay for to fund that kind of technology mm-hmm. so many developing countries can't necessarily afford programs where Paralympic programs that are where these devices assisted devices are um, are included so it's it kind of hinders um, their involvement in, in Paralympic yeah. I mean that's the same for the Olympics as well it is yeah, yeah but I, mean, I think because I mean, you look at, say, running, say, you could enter a, a race and just run in bare feet. Mm-hmm. You can't enter a wheelchair a basketball tournament without a wheelchair. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, say. But yeah. it, because Paralympic sport is pretty much dependent on some assistive device in some way, some technology, mm-hmm. um, inclusion with, from nations which don't have that funding ability, um, is, is a bit of a drawback. So, the more we can filter technology down and to to nations that don't have the opportunity, the better better for participation. Right. All right, Gav. Thanks a lot for for talking with us. I think we've all learned quite a bit. Such uh, a we'll, we'll yeah. look forward to the uh, Olympics or the Paralympics in um, 2012. Yeah. Thanks, Gav. Thanks, Gav. Good, Mike. Okay. Thanks, Gav, and thanks, listeners, for listening. We'll put some relevant links on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. And for other sport technology-related stories, be sure to follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Bye.